once again, thank you all for tuning in. This is Nuance, and we will be speaking about the New York City Council's action to override two of Mayor Adams' vetoes. But first, I would like to introduce our co-hosts. We've got Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the Hip Hop Artist and Chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Same old, same old. Actually woke up a little bit with a headache today, so that's not that good. Oh. <laughs> I actually have a headache myself, but it's from mixing. I've been trying to finalize these mixes for the album and maybe doing a little too much because I'm starting to feel my head pound. <laughs> oh. Right. That yeah, is. you need to take a break with that because otherwise... If you don't, then you your mixes will suffer because then yes. you get like ear fatigue. You get fatigue, right? And you, and you start playing tricks on yourself. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's frustrating, right? Because I mean, at this point, it's just a matter of fine tuning. So for most people, they probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference, right? So a part of me says, just just leave it, it's fine. But I'm like going between, you know, 0.2.6 on the setting or 0.2.7 and it's like it's it's like it's so subtle but to me it's making a big difference because i'm just so in tune with it that it's driving me crazy and then i have it in my head how i want it to sound and it's not exactly there but i know it's like it's like a little bit of tweak then it's like you, you turn it this way oh, too much and it's like it's just find that, that that right sweet spot and it just drives you crazy i'm sure you've dealt with that jay yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know, in reality, uh, a point two decibel is not really perceptible by the ears. Like, I think, I think you have to for it to be a really uh, perceptible or heard for people. It has to be like a two dB difference for people to really uh, mm -hmm. identify it. Well, you're telling me that <laughs> you have to change the volume by 2 dB for someone to actually hear it? For there to be a real perceptible difference. And I, I'm, I recall reading that somewhere that like, you know, any change, if it's less than 2 B, dB on its own, doesn't really stand out. Now, maybe over time, if you got like, you know, 10 different channels and each one is like two or three, and then you're building up like the sound energy, yeah. that might yeah. be a difference. But for that specific thing, I think it's... Uh, that's a big jump, though. Two whole. I can see point two, but two. That's a big, big jump. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could definitely hit a different. Sometimes I can't. Right when it, you start getting to like the point ones, I was in the car with Isaac down in Florida, and I was like, "So which one sounds better, like this or like this?" And I was changing by point two, and we were like, "Wait, which one was, was that again?" Like we couldn't even ourselves. We couldn't tell the difference. You know what I mean? Because it was that subtle. But. Sometimes when it's very, very, very close, and I just know it's like, oh, it's almost there, but I know in my head how I want it to be, but it's just not quite, but almost, I know it's just like a small tweak, right? But then sometimes then you over turn the knob, right? It's like you're trying to find that sweet spot. So it'll, it'll yeah. drive you crazy, but you know, you keep working at it until you, you either are sufficiently driven crazy or you think it's where it needs to be. I'm sure she, but this whole conversation is far into <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I'm going to stay in my lane <laughs> and I'm going to talk about the Burger King hamburgers, which I went high and low. Okay. Searching, trying to find a hamburger with mustard in New York State. And from what I, um, I know someone that worked at Bur works at Burger King said, you're not going to find um, mustard on hamburgers in New York State at Burger King, but you will find them in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
That was interesting research. I said, oh, okay. And at, during our conversation last time, I did post the image directly from the Burger King website into the chat. And it has mustard on the burger because, like I said, that's their standard recipe. It's just yeah. New York is is must be a specific region because of polling or whatever it was. But everywhere else. Well, it's OK. So we got Sheba Abraham from the League of Women Voters doing some investigative reporting on nuance. We <laughs> appreciate that. We now need to see New Jersey. Maybe I'll see next time I'm, I'm on the turnpike or whatever. When I'm in New Jersey, I'm going to pull over and go to Burger King and see, because I'm a little dubious, right? I maybe it depends on where you are in Jersey. I don't know. For yeah, some reason, I'm suspecting that at least close to New York, the burgers in Jersey are also not going to have mustard on them. Joe dubious. Perhaps. <laughs> That's right. We'll see. We'll see. Like we'll said, see exactly where the line is, where the mustard line begins, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Where's the mustard line? Where's the mustard line? Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, it shocked me to hear that because, like I said, I did years during college and high school. I made thousands of hamburgers with mustard on them. It's just a regular recipe. So, <laughs> well, interesting. It's a New York thing, I guess. I don't know. I thought it was North versus South. Now I'm hearing it's a New York thing. Didn't know if it was New York City or New York State. We're gonna find this. We're gonna. I think at the end of this whole process, we'll have a map. We'll be able to put yeah. out the map of where the mustard is. Mustard yeah. or non-mustard burgers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it could yeah. tell us something. This all started because we were talking about the cultural differences between North and South in the U.S. Right. And coming on my recent road trip. And I think those things are interesting to look at, especially when you're driving. See, this is what you get when you drive that you can't get when you fly, right? Because when you fly, yeah. you're basically just dropped in a new place. When you drive, you can slowly observe the differences. And it's really fascinating to watch. Right, because it is a gradual mm -hmm. change sometimes. Or sometimes it could be a, a quick change, right? And you startle, like when you go to the McDonald's in Richmond, you know you're in the South with an F, right? Where mm -hmm. you're getting that before. But like we said last week, even even in Virginia, there is a place where the South seems to begin culturally, right? I think it's certainly south of Alexandria. Where is it? I don't know. It's probably a gray zone in the middle somewhere. So all these, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a geek when it comes to this, but I find it fascinating to look at. Well, you have to uh, we'll have to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny that Shiva actually went to go get a burger, though, <laughs> with that research in mind. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. But I can say, um, read the world launched on Thursday. There you go. Oh, was, yes. Yeah, we How had was a, we, It was good. It was very. It was wonderful. Everyone who said that they were going to show up, came. Uh, nice. Assemblyman Jacobson, Jonathan Jacobson, he attended. Um, our newly elected mayor, Yvonne Flowers, she attended. Um, the superintendent, which was a, a surprise, he, he attended. Um, and some other officials uh, in the city of Poughkeepsie attended the launch. It was really uh, very, very, like I said, very nice. The children are excited. Um, and uh, what was surprising, I said, you know, I'd let them know that they have to compete. And I asked them, how many children, how many of you uh, watch Jeopardy? All of them raised their hands. I thought that was surprising. Wow. So here's yeah. something, Sheba, and I think it probably won't apply to you because you're also in New York. Jeopardy 
comes on before Wheel of Fortune around here. But in parts of the country, it's reversed. Wheel of Fortune yeah. comes on before Jeopardy. So similar to the mustard situation, right? You can look <laughs> on the map and see <laughs> in which areas, which markets does Jeopardy come on before Wheel of Fortune and vice versa. So we are a, a pro Jeopardy stat. I look at it that way. I look at like, we like Jeopardy more. That's why it comes on first. I don't know if that's the reason why with the market research is on that one, but yeah. I know, you know, we definitely have our Jeopardy on first. Yeah, yeah Virginia, Virginia um, Wheel of Fortune's first. Yeah, yeah. That's funny, right? I mean, they must have done some kind of research into that, because why would it be different? Like, they must be thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe people like the wheel better in the South? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's, yeah, interesting. I mean, that with that gap there, you know, that does uh, lead to some potentiality. You could do some betting, you know? Stream the stream the Virginia uh, the New York version of Jeopardy and then uh, bet against someone in in uh, Virginia while they're watching it. Well, you uh, come on twice even in New York. There was an early showing and a late showing, so people would do mm -hmm. that to try to impress people. Right? They was they would see the right. showing on the sneak and, and and be like, "Oh, I know all the answers." With right. the questions, it's you know, all right. Well, speaking of knowing the answers and the questions, we had a poll last week, right? We absolutely had a poll last week, um, and this was in regards to the. The issue with uh, the New Hampshire primary. So um, the poll question was, should New Hampshire be stripped of its delegates to the Democratic National Convention for not following the DNC rule to allow South Carolina to vote first? That's a mouthful. Um, and so as we talked about last week, uh, Joe Biden pulled himself off of the ballot um, because so it was New Hampshire wouldn't allow South Carolina to go first because they have a law in their state that says they have to be the first primary in the country. And so uh, the DNC has, I guess, threatened or, or or said that they their delegates wouldn't count. So we put this vote to to the people and the results were 36 percent said New Hampshire should be stripped of its delegates. Uh, 45% said no, 19% said I'm not sure. Hmm. Oh. Um, so yeah. plurality saying that they should maintain their delegates, but essentially the vote should count regardless of the DNC rules. Yeah. Um, some people had, you know, for and against opinions, of course. One said voters in that state could pressure their representatives to change the law. It's a pretty stupid and self-aggrandizing hill for New Hampshire to die on. That state isn't special. <laughs> you really think there's a realistic chance that they're going to change their own law to say we're no longer going to go first? They take so much pride in that. Yeah, right. No, yeah, we're I mean, not going to change it. Yeah, it's, you know... Um, someone said that stripping the state of its delegation seems very restrictive. Um, perhaps a better solution might be to reduce the size of the delegation from what it might have been had they decided to play by the rules. Yeah. But that was, very, was that a rule? It's a DNC. Or was that something? What rules would they have to play by? The DNC rules. But right. The DNC was, how many times have they asked? New Hampshire to go second. Is this the first time? Yeah, good question. So, where are the rules? The because DNC makes the rules, though, on how to conduct the presidential primary, right? Right, but now, now it counts because Biden wanted to have South Carolina go first. 
Yeah, the DNC passed a rule saying that South Carolina goes first. But when did they pass the rule? Recently, over the past year. Oh, right. So yeah, and and speculative. I mean, come on. The reason why is is well, we're assuming um, the, uh-huh. the the reason I think the DNC put put out was that they were trying to be more inclusive or, or whatever. But realistically, it's it seems like you know, Biden did much better in South Carolina last time and he didn't do so well in new hampshire so having that be the first primary it would have made a, a bad impression off of his new campaign and so that's probably why they wanted to switch it up even though that they didn't specifically say that but strategically uh-huh. looks that to be the case right but, but he's saying it? biden still won new hampshire even not being resoundedly won even being like yeah as a writing candidate he won yeah. so was he really in any danger you know, and here's another theory, though, and I don't know if there's any truth to this at all, but it's possible. Remember, we talked about when Biden was embraced by South Carolina and we said, well, what does he have to give up in return? How does, you know, like, is, is it was some kind of deal made where they were going to endorse Biden? I wonder if that was part of what was discussed back then when he got his endorsement, because who was it called? Clyburn, was it? Who was a South Carolina rep that endorsed uh-huh. him, who, which, which really gave him momentum going into that primary? You know, uh, I think we talked about at the time, remember he announced, I think shortly after that, didn't he announce he was going to pick a black woman as vice president? And right. we talked about maybe okay. he shouldn't have made that announcement. But I just wonder if these were deals that were made. Maybe he promised them at that point, hey, listen, I'm going to push for South Carolina to go first. I don't know. Uh-huh. Right. Um, another comment said here that the dnc didn't get their wish new hampshire still went first new hampshire cannot and did not break state law it won't make a whit of difference in who gets the democratic nomination the rnc did not wish south carolina to go first the dnc hissy fit and bullying won't happen in 2028 i'm a new hampshire voter <laughs> they should have opened with that one that would provide better context the rest of the comment right um yeah so you know, that's you know it's it's interesting um, that it is a state law that they that they uh, we go first. How do you make that a state law? Someone did mention that um, what should happen is another state should make it their state law that they go first, and so then then what happens in that case? So we're going to have the twenty thirty six election primary in twenty twenty six or something like that because everyone's going to oh yeah pushes it back yeah. I was getting at that last week. It is an interesting law to have as a state. It would be like saying our state has to have the most, I don't know, you know, harsh murder law in the country or something like that. And then when other states do something different, that means by law now you have to do what, change your law. Your law is, is, is updated as a result of what other states are doing, right? To define your own state's behavior and, and limitations and burdens and so forth based on what other states are doing is kind of weird. Mm. So here was a back and forth. One person had said this was a naked power play by the Biden campaign to head off any challenge to his renomination by making sure the first contest was in a state he was strong in. And someone countered saying that that's baloney. The DNC made South Carolina the first Democratic primary so that black voters would receive greater representation and to eliminate caucuses in the nominating process. And then they cited uh, a letter from Biden on December 2022 
to the DNC Rules and Bylaws Committee requesting this change. So that's the it, that's kind of the stated reason the DNC said, you know, we did this for inclusivity and this and that. Um, mm -hmm. But come on, we know that this this also was because this was a state he was strong in. Yeah. Right. You know, and a funny thing also is, as we mentioned, he won the nomination last time by starting off strong in South Carolina after faltering in the first states, right? He did very poorly right. in Iowa and New Hampshire, right. got to South right. Carolina, did very well and took it from there. And so right. we've seen you don't need South Carolina to be first for it to have an impact on the race. I mean, it was the difference maker last time, even without being first. So does it really matter if it's going first? Right. And and again, as, as you pointed out, he, as a write-in candidate, not even on the ballot, he mm -hmm. stomped the New Hampshire primary. I think it was like above 78% or something. Yeah, it was really a significant uh, win. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean, ultimately, I guess it didn't matter, but uh, it's a weird kind of a thing to argue about. I Is it also maybe just another iteration of this current administration and the current Democratic Party on the whole's movement towards more diversity, more inclusion, you know, doing things that some argue are symbolic even, but if you look at for example, what the White House will tout as its biggest accomplishments, they'll start talking about, you know, you know the most this this identity, let's say, nominated for judge or different. You know, what I mean, like they're 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 really mm -hmm. trying to celebrate their uh, milestones in terms of diversity and inclusion. Right. And so, I wonder if this is just an, you know another example of that. Like, you know, we we want this to we want South Carolina to go first as sort of representative of our movement, right? Our legacy. Right for this period of moving towards more inclusion and diversity. It's a possibility as well, but um, I, was he very, I guess they were kind of vocal about that, but not in specifics. Mm -hmm. About what? About that, you know, we're doing doing this. Well, I guess they did because they wanted to do more diverse representation and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, didn't he start off by saying he's going to have a black woman as his running mate? And yeah. If you look at the... Um, I'm sure we can pull it up if you look on the white house's website when they list their accomplishments for the presidential right. term i think a lot of what you're going to see revolves around that you know most right. something like for example i don't know if this is something like you know we, you know most black judges ever in, in history or something like that right right yeah i'm looking at the results here i'm, I'm revisiting it so now with 99 percent reporting in looks like Biden, as a write-in, took 63.9% of the votes. Uh, Dean Phillips came in second in 19.6. So it, it came down a little bit, but he still overwhelmingly uh, won. That even is more than how much, um, percentage-wise, how much Trump won in New Hampshire. He came in with 54.3, with Nikki Haley at 43%. However, I think there is something here that could be... Uh, something that um the democrats need to look at so biden's 78 uh 63 was 79,000 votes donald trump's 54 percent was 176,000 votes well see there's a reason for that in new hampshire you don't have to be registered to a party to vote in a primary and so you can just show up 
and grab whatever primary ballot you want, and that's the one that you vote in. And so people in New Hampshire, I'm sure, saw the Republican contest as more competitive. And that was why Nikki Haley thought she had her best shot in New Hampshire, because she actually had independents and Democrats vote for her as well. And it still wasn't enough to put her over the top. Yeah, I'd still be I'd still keep an eye on that. I mean, Nikki Haley got 140,000 votes. So we're talking, you know, and then Dean Phillips and his only got 24,000. So like, Right, because people saw the Democratic contest as a foregone conclusion, especially with them stripping the delegates, right? I mean, that they're sending yeah. a message that there is, and with Biden not being on the ballot for that matter, they're sending a mm -hmm. message that the Democratic contest is, is no contest. It's not a thing. And so the Republican one was really the only game in town that mattered. Because at least that's how I think most people saw it there. So mm -hmm. that's why more people voted in that primary for sure. One thing to look at, which I think is troubling for Trump, is he's really running as an incumbent, right? He's not just a, a candidate for president who never never sought the nomination, never got the nomination, was never in the White House before. He's an actual former president. So you're talking about two incumbents probably going to be running in the general election against each other. Well, mm -hmm. his vote total for an incumbent was not good. I mean, Biden, if you look at when I compare Biden versus Trump, Biden did a lot better than Trump did, right? In terms of uh, their, in the amount of support they got as an incumbent president. Wow. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Biden pulls this off. That's something that um, we have. You have the numbers here between what was it, with Trump and Haley. You have those numbers. Um, yeah. Um, what are the percentages. Oh, the percentage. Percentage. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump got fifty-four point three percent. Nikki Haley got forty-three point two percent. Yeah. So think about that. Fifty-four percent. He was only able to get as president right as a former president running for the nomination versus biden got how many percentages as a writing candidate it wasn't even on the ballot 63.9 six wow so think about that biden is getting 63 percent as a writing candidate whose name was mm -hmm. not on the ballot trump as a former president only got what 54 percent with his name mm -hmm. on the ballot right? right so that is i think a troubling sign for trump Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how these things progress. Yes. That, of course, is the national stage. We wanted to take a look at what's going on locally here in New York because things are happening. Some would call it progress. Some might dispute that. But we've got the city council today as we're live on Tuesday, voting overwhelmingly to override two vetoes that the mayor issued, one of which was the solitary confinement bill that we talked about here on Nuance. Of course, right. it was to ban most forms of solitary confinement and be a lot more restrictive in, in the process. So that one was overridden, as well as the so-called How Many Stops Act, which got a lot of media attention. So both of these now becoming law by virtue of the city council overriding the mayor's vetoes. Mayor Adams saying that he's hoping that the legislation will be amended because he still has his concerns about these bills. Well, what are his concerns? Yeah, I was going to ask that. What are his concerns? What are you concerned about there? Well, the attention is mostly on the How Many Stops Act right now, and 
for those who don't know, this does a few things, right? It's a transparency and accountability bill where police officers are required under this to fill out paperwork, essentially, they could do it on their phone, but they have to fill out a form outlining the details of a stop, right? Anytime they make a stop, not just when they pull someone over in their car, which was always required, but now any kind of encounter, not just when they pull someone over, when they stop someone who's suspected of committing a crime, but any encounter with the public, they break it down to level one, two, and three encounters. Level one encounter is an investigative encounter where a police officer requests information from a member of the public. So mm. could be, uh, you know, do you have any information on the suspect? Uh, have you seen, you know, maybe we heard it, we got reports on some criminal thing happening here at, at any, any information to see which way that they ran, anything like that would be a level one encounter. Then you have a level two encounter, which is an investigative encounter where a police officer requests information from a member of the public based on a founded suspicion that that individual has engaged in or will engage in criminal activity during which a reasonable person would feel free to leave. They put that in there. But that one, I think, is close to what the stop and frisk used to be, right? Reasonable suspicion, not necessarily that you're going to arrest them, but that you have reason to believe that they may have committed a crime or they're about to commit a crime. All right, controversial. Level three encounter now is an investigative encounter where a member of the department requests information from a member of the public based on a reasonable suspicion that the member of the public has committed or is about to commit a crime and during which a reasonable person would not feel free to leave. So that's more of, I guess, how you would describe an arrest, right? Or at least, mm. but, but there it's funny because they're defining this in terms of what the person would believe, not what the officer thinks is happening, right? So they're, they're making it up, you know, uh, an objective standard, what a reasonable person would believe, which, you know, that's one of those things that often has to go to court and you have to fight about because people are going to differ on what the hell that means. But that's the difference between level two and level three, right? Level three is you're holding someone who believes that he can't leave, right? He's under arrest or the cop is holding him against his will or her will, essentially, um, mm -hmm. under reasonable suspicion of a crime. Level two is like that, but less serious, but a person thinks they can leave. But regardless, the officers are going to have to classify these encounters, right? There's level one, two, three, put them into this database, which is going to be public. In addition to the age, approximately, race and gender of the person being stopped. However, the officer is not required to ask them for that information. So they're going to have to make a judgment call on that. The apparent race, ethnicity, gender, and age of the member of the public involved in the investigative encounter. And also the reason for the encounter, they got to put that in there as well. And like I said, this data will be going to the public. And so we'll have stats in theory, right? As to everyone right. being stopped, not just people being arrested, not to people being stopped in their cars, but everyone that the police is really interacting with, right? Because level one is, you know, they're, they're not under any suspicion of a crime. They just ask them for information. So, yeah, I was going to say that level one might be a little bit much. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Level it's one. I don't think it's. A, no, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Not to tell her talk to you, but um, I, I, I like that what the city council has done because when they had to stop and frisk, they were stopping teenagers. It's true. Stopping teenagers going to school, uh, yeah. 12, 13, I mean, young ones. 
and they would stop these youth and frisk them with no accountability. This is true. So I think they should be held accountable if they're going to stop young people in some way, because a young person, if they think, you know, uh, that this young person might have done something and they're not sure, what happens if they arrest somebody that hasn't done anything? Right. But Sheba, okay, let's just be clear, though. The level one encounter involves people not under suspicion for criminal activity. So you're just asking them for information. And I think part of the objection from the mayor is it's going to take too long and essentially impede police work, right? And they're spending all their time filling out forms. Now, the public advocate who sponsored the legislation is saying that it will take them less than a minute, so it shouldn't be an issue. But I can understand that. And I personally would like to see a little bit more on this myself, but I can understand why it might seem like a problem if, let's say they're investigating a crime and they have to ask a group of people, right? They're in an area where the criminal was known to be, maybe this is where the crime actually happened, and they're interviewing people and saying, and you know, it could be kind of informal. So have you seen this guy? Have you seen anything? Have you heard anything? What if they're asking like 50 people in a crowded area? Now they got to fill out 50 forms and, and put the age and the race and the gender of everyone that they talk to. I can see that seeming like much, right? I don't know if it, if it really is, if it crosses the line. I don't know if it means we shouldn't do it, but I understand where that argument right. comes from. Well, I'm looking yeah. at it from the point of stop and frisk. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's what I'm looking at. That's really more than three. That that helps. That helps. Yeah, that's a higher level, though. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a higher level. That's two and three when you're actually suspecting the person of committing a crime. Now, we did see with stop and frisk, they were stopping people theoretically or, or supposedly under reasonable suspicion, but almost nine times out of 10, the person actually was not committing a crime, which is right. what led to a court declaring it right. unconstitutional. And especially with teenagers. Yeah. yeah, and so that is still especially a concern, with teenagers right? teenagers going to school. That are, that you, you're only supposed to be stopping and frisk, or, or you know, uh, previous when, when that was the policy and, and that was, you know, the, the thing that they were instructed to do. They were only told to, to do that under reasonable suspicion of crime, but we saw the stats show that most of the times there was no crime. And so that did lead to, lead to questions as to whether they truly had that reasonable suspicion. And again, there's a subjective standard and an objective standard. We start talking about reasonable, you know, in, in right. legal terms, that's the objective standard and they weren't meeting that clearly. And so there is a legitimate concern here, like to your point, Sheba, you know, under the law, level, two, level three of a reasonable suspicion, but what if they're level one encounters as far as the police are concerned, but the public receives it a different way? What do you mean by that? Yeah. For example? Well, I'm trying to think of the discrepancies here because, you know, Sheba was saying basically, even with the level one encounter, she had concerns about stop and frisk and essentially people being stopped who shouldn't be stopped or the police thinking that there's reasonable suspicion, even when there isn't, or they're saying that even when there isn't. And so I get that as well. I understand. Yeah. I is, is there um, a concern here that maybe something should be a level one encounter, but it's really a level two or a level three encounter. I mean, even the difference between two and three is kind of subjective, right? right. When does a reasonable person feel free to leave? I mean, the, the per- I can see the cop and the member of the public having very different understandings of whether we're at a level two or a level three, right? The cop uh-huh. is going to say, oh, sure, they can leave. Of course they can leave. It's level uh-huh. two. And the person is going to say, I was scared for my life. It's a level three. And so, right. you know, 
is, is there a danger that a level one is not really a level one? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I think I think that's very valid to say. And in that regard, then with that possibility out there, then it is very uh, relevant to say, well, let's just encounter, just just document everything, um, and then we'll figure it out. Because, like right. I said, there might be two different uh, perceptions. And in in the case mm -hmm. you mentioned, yeah, that you know, you could say, well, yeah, you they were free to leave, but yeah. you know, you got six cops around you and guys holding yeah. his hand on his hip. You know, like, well, I feel the uh -huh. pressure that if I leave, this, you know, this is not the case. Right. Well, picture this one, right? There's, I don't know, someone suspected of having a gun in an area that gets reported. You know, maybe they let off a shot or reported shots or what have you. The yeah. cops come to investigate. They're in a very crowded area. Maybe it's by a park or apartments or, you know, whatever the case is. A lot of people are congregating in the area. And the cops start talking to people, right? stopping them essentially on the street and saying, hey, can I talk to you? You know, uh, have you seen this person? Have you heard anything? And, and they just asking pointed questions about what's going on. Maybe from the cop's perspective, it's a level one. In other words, the person that we're talking to was not suspected of a crime there. You know, we're just right. trying to gather information, but maybe the public for help. Right. But maybe mm -hmm. from their perspective, they are being treated as a suspect. Maybe just because of the history there or just because yeah. of the you know the the nature of the questioning right sure. why, do you assume I know? why do you assume i know because i'm in this area what are you coming right. to me from? Yeah. right May, maybe there is a reasonable perception that they're under suspicion not that sure. they're going to be charged with a crime or arrested but yeah. they're you know like the difference between uh an interrogation and just asking someone a question right <laughs> trying to get information for someone maybe they, they'll, they'll feel like that right especially if the cop is on edge maybe they're in an area that they're not used to you do hear about that a lot we were scared you know so that yeah. could be the thing too they're in an area they're out of their element they're nervous they're asking people for information on something and the people perceive it as them being interrogated or, or questioned you know as if they're a suspect well, not just that well, you know, well, not just that they're looking for someone else, but maybe that they're looking for them. And there could be a blurred line there because maybe the cop doesn't know. Maybe the cop is asking them, thinking maybe they're going to confess something or we're going to learn something about them that makes them a suspect, right? Because they're still trying to get that information. And so it, 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 it could be hard to determine where these lines are actually drawn. And so that's why I guess, like Jay, you were saying, I understand why you might want to say, well, then just put everything in there. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you can't clearly define these categories, then I can also see the point that you, you may be including too much if it's right. too burdensome. And, and that's the thing. Is the public advocate correct? It's only going to take a minute. How clean is the system? What if, right. like in my example, what if they stop 50 people in a, right. matter of a few minutes? Uh, how long is it going to take for them to now fill out these 50 forms? Is that right. going to impede the, the investigation? Is the criminal right. getting in the way now? So these are things that you have to consider, right? The logistics yeah. of it. Absolutely. So are these forms are these forms to be filled out once they return, or are they to take the filled out while they're actually um, interviewing or at, at seeking information? Well, I don't uh, know if that's in the forms law. to be filled out. Are they to be filled out once they return? Are they to keep notes? There are. It seems like they have to keep notes once they return to the. They are off their precinct. Mm -hmm. That's when they fill out the forms of what they've done. If they uh, stopped anyone to talk to them or inquire, get information, inquire about a shooting or something like that, other things, theft or something. Right, but could you have a situation where they will hesitate 
to talk to people to try to investigate a crime because they think that it's going to be too burdensome on them or it's, it's going to be too uh, difficult, right, too onerous to properly fill out right. all these forms. And then they'll get in trouble for not filling out the forms. And you know, could, right. it, could it have a perverse effect of them not doing the investigation the way they otherwise would? I think this, this is really indicative of this lack of trust um, yeah. that we have in police officers doing their duty in a fair manner. Um, uh -huh. This would be necessary if we didn't have issues like what was going on with stop and frisk, if we didn't have issues like the tension between police officers and people in the community because uh -huh. of overreach and, and these types of nature. So I think, you know, maybe this is a, a, a measure that needs to take place now while that trust is rebuilt. Um, that could be a, an issue to talk about. What are your thoughts on the fact that they have to include the apparent race, ethnicity, gender, and age of the member of the public? Do you think that could impede their investigative work as well? Could, could there be a perverse incentive there? Maybe that they wouldn't want to stop people. I mean, you know, let's, let's say in a hypothetical that I brought up, let's say they're in a housing project or somewhere where everyone is black or Hispanic. Are they going to be afraid to, you know, put put in 50 reports? I just stopped 50 black and Hispanic people because that's going to make them look bad, uh, even though that's who's there at the time. I mean, you know, is, is that an issue? It could be, but I don't really have an issue with that because as we saw with the stop and frisk, we saw the majority of people they were stopping. It was, what was it, like 80% or something like that, 70% or something like that of black people and and. uh then a, a, the second highest was was brown people. And the mayor said, mayor Bloomberg at the time said that they should, in fact, stop and frisk more people of color. Right. And so yeah. if they have to document this, then we know we can look at it because we could look at those st statistics and uh -huh. say, well, look, this is this is not being applied fairly, obviously. Right. So I think it's I don't have a problem with them having to to collect that information. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm just wondering if. It, it could possibly lead to them essentially not wanting to do their job because they think that this is going to somehow reflect. But, you know, Mike, what about well, it's the because they weren't doing their job is that stuff like this is, is necessary. Right. Because, you know, the transparency, and I think that's what they're trying to, uh, they want, want more transparency with these police officers, especially those that do it for no cause or, the right. bad the bad police officers that they can probably weed out right that do that that this is something that they do regularly and never held accountable for it right 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 and ideally this wouldn't be necessary right we would we would trust and have that faith in the police officers to do to execute their duties the way that they should and that they would be doing it and like you said maybe you know weed out some of these these bad cops um, and the, the cops that don't report the bad cops, like, just get rid of them too. Yeah, yeah. So, and you have but to keep, I, can, you know, I was going to say, but I do see how it, the level one stops could be very cumbersome, um, especially if it's every touch point. You know what I mean? Like if you just say, "Hey, which way did he go?" Okay, now I got to fill out a form. I can right. see how that could be right. Yeah, but you know. And this is why I would want more data myself. I think people are very 
presumptuous to say, you know, oh yeah, this this should be supported. We should vote for this. We should vote against this. Me personally, I understand where this is getting at, and I think broadly more accountability and more transparency are good. But I would want to see a little bit more of the logistics. I would want to see, for example, data on how often these level one encounters happen. Right. Even taking this legislation out, putting it aside for a second, just in an ordinary course of business for the NYPD, how often are they doing this? How many, you know, in a given month, let's say, how many people on average should the reasonable officer be expected to stop in this manner and ask for this data? How many forms basically would they be expected to fill out every month? I would like to to figure figure this kind of stuff out because I don't know. I don't work in law enforcement. So I don't know how common this is. I don't know what the numbers are on it. And I like to see stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it'd be very, um, it'd be very useful to know that thing, you know, because if they have to, they're having to fill out a thousand forms like uh, every month, like we may need to look at that because we still want them to do the job that they're supposed to be doing in a thousand pages. That could be just put them at the desk and take them away from what they need to be on the street. Yeah. And let me actually flip it around because with stop and frisk, I spoke with officers at the time who were telling me that there was pressure on them to conduct a certain number yes. of stops and frisks, right? And if they weren't, they would be told, are you telling me people aren't out there committing crimes? Come on, you're not doing your job. You're not finding enough yeah. people. You're not finding the criminal. Yeah. You're getting them. And right. so what if this causes officers now to fill out more forms, right? To, to, to document level one, two, and three encounters? Because if they don't, they'll be told that they're not investigating properly. Yeah. They're not finding criminals mm-hmm. for the, for the they're trying to solve the crimes or whatever. So, you know, what if, they wouldn't actually be stopping that many people, but now there's pressure on them to do more because it's public and those numbers got to show that they're actually quote unquote doing their job. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's, that's an issue um, that kind of is linked to that idea of quotas, you know, like if you don't do this much, then it means you're not doing anything. We have to show this for budgets or for elections or whatever it is. When reality, you would prefer the numbers be down, right? The idea is that, if the numbers are down, that means there's not a lot of crime happening. You know, um, yeah. I, I think I mentioned it to you before uh, here in this in this uh, small town, uh, walking by the police station, there is a police substation that's right there at the, the train station. Um, and right in front of the, you can see inside the office and the police officer sitting at the desk and I'm walking by and the police officer's there leaned back in his chair with his head back and mouth open. He's just sleep. And I'm okay with that. That means he doesn't have enough to do. And that, and I'm fine with that. If the cop doesn't have enough to do, then that means that things are okay. So, yeah. you know, I'm good with that. So, well, yeah, and that's, that's it. Right. I mean, you can see how there could be pressure in response to what's happening. In the public, even if it doesn't, necessarily correlate with the stats, but we know that perception can become reality. And so, you know, what if overall crime is down, but in a given month, let's say there has been a spike in violent crimes or certain types of crimes, right? Right. Mm -hmm. There may be pressure now on those precincts and on the department broadly to show that they're doing what they can to curb that, right? That they're out there doing their job. And so I can, I can envision a situation where there's pressure from the higher ups on the officers say, hey, you know, we had this big spike this past month. How come you guys uh-huh. don't have enough level one, two and three stops in to show that we're trying to investigate this stuff? And so that, you know, I think that could be an issue. But, you know, I'm really just 
I guess playing devil's advocate in a sense here, trying to figure out what the potential downsides are, right? Right. Yeah. And then you have to, you have to look at what the potential downsides oh. are to, to be able to like accurately assess whatever the. Yeah, the that's true. You do. So there was an op ed here in the wave here in Rockaway this past week by. Was it Scholar's Rap? <laughs> it was not Scholar's Rap. Uh, Scholar's Rap actually is in the wave this past week. It is my. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. On, what's going on in Dayton Beach Park. But no, th there was actually something in the wave also about this particular legislation. And the gentleman who wrote the column was calling on the council members, moderate Democrats, as he called them in the council, to vote with the mayor, you know, to not override the veto. And he's yeah. saying that it's a matter of public safety. He's saying, it will slow NYPD police response times and undermine the community-oriented policing that is critical for crime prevention. The overwhelming majority of law enforcement professionals agree with this assessment. There are better ways to improve transparency in policing, ways that will not compromise public safety. And so they do keep repeating this public safety talking point, but- Good buzzword. Yeah, I'm not uh -huh. seeing really a whole lot of meat on that bone, even, even with the mayor. Uh, from what I'm seeing, the mayor is saying that it'll take too long. But all right, I just I just want to know more about that. And is that, you know, just to say that, just to 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 rest your case on that point doesn't really get me there, right? I want to know really what that's about. Right. Mm -hmm. What is the crime rate in, in New York City? What what's the rate crime it's rate down, in New York? Actually. It's down overall, but then you have certain categories that have been up, right? Like increased encounters on the subway, um, right. things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm even in this column. Maybe he's asking too much because I'm looking for nuance, right? And I'm hearing mostly buzzwords. <laughs> I want to really get into the meat of this. Right. Yeah. They're saying such a solution would be left out of the conference room if proposed by a business leader. Okay, but why? How? Tell me more. Yeah. Wanna, it, it, tell me more. I want to hear it. You know? Well, that's, that's what it is that, you know, it is like I said, buzzwords. Um, yeah. yeah you're repeating public safety, public safety. Then that's yeah. going to be in the reader's mind. Oh my God, this is a threat to public safety. This is going to hamper public safety. Even uh -huh. if there's no, even if there's no justification for it or any explanation right. for it, you've said it like ten times. Now the person, that's what they're taking away from the article. They're saying it will take time away from activities that keep the public safe. Okay, so I get the idea that when you fill in, I get that. You know, okay, but I still want to hear more on that. I want I want to see right. some numbers. You know what I mean? Like I want more yeah. on that. Yeah. So, well, it is so, it, it, but it has been overridden, so it is the law. So they have to comply to that now, and so yeah. we will we'll, okay. we will see some of those numbers, right? We're going to see yeah. how many forms that they're filling out, um, you know, and if this is a good measure or not. Test it. See see if mm -hmm. it works. Yeah, we'll see if the city council is persuaded to amend it in any way. You know, right. and obviously is saying, okay, it's the law. He said he did his job. He stands by his veto, but he also acknowledges right. that it was overridden. And so now we move forward and we see what we get. You know, we'll see and we'll see what it does. All right. Yeah. All right. What else? We had we had something else on the docket here for today. Well, we were gonna talk about I mean, well, 
before we move on, did you want to mention the solitary confinement? I know we had talked about that in the past. That's the other veto that was overridden today. So, right. So, what does that mean? That they can't. That yeah, we had talked about that. That was banning most forms of solitary confinement. It also introduced a due process component, right? Right. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, pretty much in the same category, I guess. Right. I'm sure the opponents of the legislation say that it handcuffs law enforcement, right? It prevents them from doing their job. I remember, remember Adams had a quote that was uncomfortable. What was he saying? That basically the people that you're trying to protect are not angels, right? He said something like that. Like, people behind bars. And so, mm -hmm. right? The, he made he, a blanket he, statement. <laughs> yeah, he made a statement. And then he also said that most of them were already convicted, which you know, I got to throw a flag on also because you're, you're talking about Rikers, you're talking about our jails, and you know, and I could be ignorant on this aspect of it, but my understanding is that most people in the jails have not yet been convicted. They're awaiting their trials. Uh -huh. And yeah. don't they employ solitary confinement there as well, or does it only apply to prisons? Uh, I don't know about Rikers. I've never heard about in Rikers. Yeah, Rikers were. were uh, I, don't, I yeah. never heard about Rikers. I know prison, but I never uh, solitary confinement, but I never heard of it in Rikers. Mm. Um, let's see. But essentially, the mayor's point, I remember, which I strongly disagreed with, was we shouldn't do this, right? Because you're taking tools away from right. law enforcement and. All you're really trying to do is protect people who themselves committed crimes. And so what's the point? That's really kind of what right. he said. And that, that shows his police officer mind creeping in right. that you know, everybody is an enemy combatant type mm -hmm. of uh, mentality instead of, yeah, these are criminals. They're probably very disgusting people, uh, uh, several of them. Um, but at the same time, they still do have rights. And as a mm -hmm. law enforcement person, you're supposed to uphold those rights. Mm -hmm. So I just looked up here. City Hall says that jails don't use traditional solitary confinement, but on Rikers Island, there are other types of restricting restrictive housing units for violent detainees where people are isolated. Those units can keep detainees in their cells for up to 17 hours a day. So they might not call it solitary confinement, but same type of deal. So now I'm curious. So, so since this went through, does that mean that they are um, you said this was vetoed, right? It was overridden along with the How Many Stops bill. So both of them were overridden. So they're both going into effect. Though. Both going into effect now. Uh -huh. Well, that's that to me sounds positive. So, so I just pulled up the solitary confinement legislation. Banning solitary confinement in city jails and establishing standards for the use of restrictive housing and emergency lock-ins. Okay. So whether they're calling it solitary confinement or not, they're, they're still including what the city says is not solitary confinement on Rikers, but they're calling that restrictive housing. So that's included in this as well. Yeah. Oh. Just wanted to make sure that it wasn't just people in prison who are already convicted of crimes. Right. It's also applying to people in jails who have not yet been convicted overwhelmingly. I mean, there are people in jail also who have been convicted, but right. I believe most of them have not. That's really the purpose of the jail as opposed to the prison, right? They're awaiting their trial. Right. So... This does say city jails. Does this, let me see. I'm searching, I'm doing a quick search on here. I actually don't see prison 
I guess there are no city prisons, right? I guess I'm upstate for that. So, okay, so it's city jail. So obviously this is going to apply to Rikers as well. So yeah, it's it just goes back to the mayor's statement for me that the fact that he said that there, most of them were already convicted, but that's not even true. Right. Uh-huh. Uh He would. He, you know, he, he should know better, shouldn't he? Well, you would hope so, as of someone as in law. Mayor who was also from <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, Interesting. I, I don't know why more people didn't call him on that. I'm sure some people did, but you'd expect a very big outrage over that one statement because that really struck me, right? All right, well, we'll see if it struck the people. He wanted to put out a poll question, and we can actually make it about the how many stops act because we did a poll on the solitary confinement previously, right? So, the poll question of the week is. Do you agree with the New York City Council's action to override the mayor's veto and enact the How Many Stops Act? Right. We're going to know what this is who haven't heard the whole show? Probably not. Um, maybe amend the end of that. The How Many Stops Act that requires police to... <laughs> We get along with it here. Stop talking about levels one, two, and three. Well, no, we don't have to go that far. It requires police to document every encounter with uh, members of the public. Okay, it's well, it's not every encounter, though. It's investigative encounter. Every investigative encounter. The city council oh. voting that well, hold on a second. to override with that amendment on it okay yeah. we could, we could yeah. try that um okay. should i go to the whole legislative history now i feel like no, <laughs> no, no. going too deep into it no should, no no, no. That, no. That, that should be enough yeah no i'm enough. saying the, the part that i had before oh yeah do the do the part you had before and okay. add that, that at the end right. of it take two mm-hmm. and action the poll question of the week is, do you agree with the New York City Council's action to override the mayor's veto on the How Many Stops Act, which requires police officers to document investigative encounters? All right. All right. Let's roll with that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That might give people a little bit more to look at. And if... You know, because I, I, I doubt. But you know, with the mayor, how much into it? Well, it also became a bit of a national story with the council member who was part of the Central Park Five, right? Talking right. about yes. the, the, you the, yes. yeah, yeah. But you know, Mike and and and, and uh, Jay, how much of Eric, uh, the Mayor Adams, how much of his police background plays into him? being the mayor what do you mean well i mean when he like he made the blanket statement about solitary confinement he's talking um uh, about you know this came up with the um the, this poll how many times you should report when you stop and suspicion somebody suspicious and you stop them uh, this this current ruling how, how much of his is this the policing side of him that thinks things like this should be done in the city? I mean, what lens is he looking at this from? Well, I'm sure his police background is uh, influences his 
decision making and his way of thinking. I'm, absolutely. So I would be surprised if it didn't. So he's definitely going to look at it from uh, a police point of view. I don't think, I mean, there's been other um, instances where, you know, police, either transparency came up or accountability that, um, you know, he's definitely taken the police side. Yeah. And I, I'm noticing that uh, uh, with him. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> you have to be for all the people. Although yeah. you and use that his if you have that his background, um, he would have a more insight on how it works for the people. Right. And for the police or against the people and against the police. But it seems like he's going he's borderlining more for the police. Yeah, you yeah. I mean, you would hope yeah, I mean that's the the idea how they use industry experts and things right the idea is that he's got this experience so she he should understand the you know the positive and negative of it but oftentimes yeah, it's it's the bias that comes through he's going to look at it from the 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 bias way and so, that's what it seems like oh yeah and because, I have yeah. thoughts on that number one it shouldn't be looked at as an adversarial thing right it shouldn't be are you on the side of the police or the people it should be how can we work together to ensure the police are doing their jobs effectively and with the support and cooperation of the people and maybe measures like this can help right there's and i think an argument that it's going to impede them we'll see but i think that more transparency more accountability can be good in meeting those objectives but the other thing is that i think we have to be honest that the mayor was elected in large part due to his law enforcement background Right. There were people who were citing high crime numbers or at least concerns right. with crime. Right. And they wanted someone who's going to be more law and order, as they say. And right. so in many ways, he's acting up to who he was as a candidate. You know, he, I don't think he really made any bones about that. Now, he was accused, I would say, of speaking on both sides of his mouth a little bit when it came to the campaign. And depending on who he was talking to, whatever crowd he was in front of, he would have different messaging. And then he was called out on that if it was a more police friendly audience. He was using certain buzzwords and terms than if it wasn't and, and things like that. And, and there seemed to be a little bit of a contradiction there in his approach. But I think you kind of knew what you were getting with him. I think people saw him as a departure from the de Blasio administration, right? They almost wanted to move, at least when it came to policing, I think, to a more conservative point. I think that's why he did well in that primary. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and like we mentioned, I, I'm, I'm sure it influences how he, he thinks. And and like Mike said, um, mm -hmm. people probably wanted that, or, or at least the people who voted for him wanted that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and this didn't just happen in New York City. I mean, you saw a similar happening around the country, right? Almost a backlash, you might say, to some of the more progressive officials who had been in prior. And I know COVID likes to get dismissed and all this. People like to act like it never happened. But <laughs> the pandemic really did play a large factor in so many variables that we see when we look at data, right? Certainly the economy. And then crime, right. you know, is largely tied to economic factors. I think right. for some reason, when we look at the politics of this, that is often overlooked. They look at it like, oh, crime is up. Why? And they'll start, maybe it's because talking points tend to prevail, especially 
when there's fear, when people are scared and concerned, right. then maybe it creates an opportunity for the fear mongering to be even more effective than normal. But Absolutely. you usually hear that when crime is up, even if it's driven by economics, they'll say the reason it's up is because the police aren't tough enough or because the mayor right. isn't doing his job. You know, you can look at what's happening nationwide and see the trends are the same basically everywhere, but people will say, oh, oh you know, we need more policing here. It's, right. you know, what about the larger trends? What about the national and global economy? What about the pandemic that we're still yeah, right. yeah. on the police? So, but people are responding to them. Maybe they're not looking at the big picture. Maybe they're just right. looking at the short term. Maybe, you know, COVID happens, it, it creates a hit on our economy, and then we have crime spike in certain areas, right? Well, mm -hmm. when that happens, how do people respond to it? How do voters respond to it? Sometimes the response yeah. isn't, you know, let's give this an economic response. Let's try to get ourselves back economically to where we were pre-pandemic. Sometimes it's more of a reactionary response of let's uh, be harsher when it comes to, to policing. You know, let's let's move away from whoever is in office now, right? If, if, if right. they're perceived as too progressive or too weak on crime, let's go to someone who's more conservative. People will, will behave that way, you know, even if it maybe is short-sighted, uh, you know, but maybe in their view, even if they're not, to be fair to them, totally disregarding the economic factors, maybe they're looking at it like a short-term solution is needed as well. And so we get our economics back to where they need to be. We need to right. be tougher on crime now. I mean, people will have that view as well. And so, you know, all these things I think play into it, but I do think that was a trend that you saw. I don't think Adams was an anomaly. You know, I think you saw that in other places as well. Didn't the mayor of Chicago lose re-election recently? And it's and also mm -hmm. it was it it was also a very concerted campaign by police unions and by pro police advocates that oh our police are being under attack and so they mm -hmm. they put out this type of talk yeah. about you know we need tougher police and we need that out there. Um, and also, this has been, you know, like you mentioned, like if there's something happening, you know, people's response tends to be throw more police at it. Um, this no, has been a, yeah. a, a trend trend that's been going on for decades, right? And I think it probably mm -hmm. started what sometime in the in Reagan administration, and then even Clinton with the crime bill. Like this whole idea of like whatever the problem is doesn't matter. We're just going to put more police at it uh, instead mm -hmm. of looking at the other issues or broader yeah. context. And that's true. They don't. That that's very true. Very true. You know, Mayor Giuliani gets credited for what happened with crime in New York City, but people completely disregard what was happening nationally at that time when Clinton was president and we had the economic boom of the 90s. Right. And mm -hmm. I think enough consideration is given to the link between economic right. factors, national and global economic factors for that matter, and right. crime in our cities. And that certainly does play a role, a, a major role, right? You can look at... Good. <laughs> data showing that they're very much connected but and i think it's all about campaigning and and promotion and marketing and branding it's mm -hmm. like you know, every mm -hmm. candidate is going to to twist it that way to make it look like they had their hand in it uh maybe more than they did so that they can get that next win or so right. they can get cemented in in history for it and like you said it, if you don't look at that broader context or whatever the current trend might be you know, it can be easily manipulated and communicated in a way that's not ex completely true. Mm -hmm. Right, or certainly misleading or it doesn't show the whole picture. Right, yeah, absolutely. So, so, yeah, and that's what we try to do here, I think, on Nuance, try to look at 
the big picture and even look at things from different angles. And people might be mm-hmm. angry that we're even considering other sides of it. But I think sure. to get to the truth and really to do a service to the people, to let people make up their minds on these things, we should kind of consider this from all angles and put it all out there and not just try to spit it one way or another, right? Just kind of mm-hmm. show it's us funny. what it is. It's funny you say that because one of the comments on the the daily polls uh the daily codes poll that we did for last week um one of the comments was this isn't meant to be criticism but this sounds quite neutral um as the diarist do you have any opinion on the subject while asking others for theirs and so like i put i was like the the point of the poll is to get your opinion so it's intentionally written neutral because i usually when i put these up i I write some Uh give some background on it and and put you know Boards and against for whatever the thing we're asking about. And so it's intentionally done that way. Now, I, I said that if you listen to the podcast, we do give our opinions, but we also do present these these balanced approaches. But it, it was funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the comments. Yeah. And that's also indicative of the political climate that we're in, where it's almost like people are expected to speak in tweets you know, in, in short right. talking points. We shouldn't go into details. We shouldn't look at things from multiple sides and try to poke right. holes. And even if we support something, right, we're trying to poke holes in it. That's seen as right. a big no-no because I think people mm-hmm. look at this like, we're in a war, we're in a political war. How could you deviate from the message here? But right. you try to give more nuance here. I mean, that's the name of the show is. You know, we, we right. delve into these things a little deeper. And I think the mm-hmm. end result is it strengthens our position at the end of the day, because now we are more educated on it. We talked it through. We can see what the weakness is, which enables us then to strengthen it ourselves if we're going to improve it or defend it better, right? Because we've considered uh, all the ways that you could poke holes in it, but we've come to this conclusion that, you know, this is what it is. In spite of its flaws, this is why it's a good thing. Or vice versa. Maybe maybe in spite of its benefits, this is why it's a bad thing. I think it it gives us more strength um, to be able to have those discussions and, and ultimately those political arguments even, right, knowing that we've really fully evaluated these issues. And, and we learn as we go. We don't know everything either, but we, we try to. All right. You want to you know the strengths of the opposing argument so that you can know, you know, like you said, maybe there's some weakness in your argument. Maybe there's room to see the weakness in that argument. But to, to have that, oh. to, to at least consider the 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 full range of options, um, you know, mm-hmm. makes you understand it more and can strengthen your position as well. And the spirit of fairness, I was looking to see if I could find the mayor's quote here. I know maybe it was about a month ago or so we really picked it apart when he was against the solitary confinement bill. Um, the part about him saying that most people that this applies to were already convicted. If I'm being charitable to his position, maybe he meant most people who get solitary confinement, I don't even know if that's true, but maybe that's what he meant as opposed to most people in the jail. So this would apply to broadly. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to find a position of his that's potentially not false. I, I think we can attribute that to his, you know, his police mentality, his police background and thinking of, you know, there's, there's that adversarial type of view that comes from from law enforcement that and and we've seen it that just yeah there's us versus them um or these 
criminals aren't deserving of the rights that they have because they are mm-hmm. criminals. And it's not just the police. There's a whole contingent of people that support that view. Like, well, if That's you didn't true. do anything wrong, uh, you shouldn't be concerned with that. Like, mm-hmm. or And so I, I think it's just indicative of his experience in law enforcement. Yeah, well, we all need to do better. Yes, we do. We all need to do better. Well, we've got work to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True words. Um, all right. Well, speaking of doing better, we are going to try to bring nuance to even new levels as we have exceeded 100,000 views total on YouTube, which we know is the replay, right? We post these videos up as an archive on YouTube. So we're happy that in total they were viewed over 100,000 times now. We're going to expand on that. I still want to do something to commemorate our most loyal supporters. Absolutely. So we'll get something together for them, hopefully. And I believe you also hit 100 episodes. I would have to go through and count, but I would not be surprised if that were the case. Well, the reason why I say that is because I'm on the YouTube channel and there is a session for full episodes or full videos. Right. Yeah. And so there are, there should be a hundred in there right now. Um, if every episode is there, that should be. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. If you're looking at the playlist, um, every episode would be listed there and there are 100 videos. Yes. There you go. So we thank you all for tuning in for our first hundred episodes and we look forward to taking this platform to new heights. Absolutely. Sheba, do we have a bottom line? Um, yes. I want to say the bottom line um, for me, or I should say, I is congratulations on reaching the milestone. And if you want a deep, in-depth conversation, check out Nuance. I like it. That is the bottom line. Who can argue with that? I'm with that too. I like it. Let's do it. And Jay, where can people check out Nuance? Well, as you previously mentioned, uh, YouTube is is one place. Um, we have uh, Instagram, and they can come and check the podcast wherever podcasts are, and uh, come in, leave comments, leave responses. Also, you know every. Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We have the live discussion that takes place. So people are all welcome to join and get involved. All debate, dispute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Give us your thoughts as always. We've got work to do. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>